Where does it go? Where does it go? All of that cast off junk, where does it go? This is Where Does It Go, a podcast about stuff. I'm Emily. And I'm Sarah. And I'm going to go ahead and go first today. Okay. Talk about where released pets go. Mm, Not to Mars, right? Hopefully. uh, (laughs) But I don't know. Mm -hmm. Not yet, anyway. So, released pets are pets that people put out into the world either intentionally or unintentionally. And they can be released into what people think would be a good habitat for them or just something like flush down the toilet or let out in a vacant lot in an urban setting, etc. Most of them just end up dying, unfortunately. A lot of pets, particularly if they have always been pets, they were not wild bred and then caught and then released again. Most of them don't have the survival skills to make it in this big bad world. And a lot of them are lacking the needs for their habitat because a lot of the pets that we have are outside of their ideal habitat. Even Even the domesticated animals that we keep around, like dogs and cats. Cats are a desert animal, typically. Uh, Dogs are usually pack animals, so one dog by itself is going to have a hard time. And then there's all the different breeds of dogs that are bred for different habitats. Uh, You know, a husky is not going to do great in South Carolina in the middle of the city on its own. They're going to have a real hard time. So, you know, they're outside of their habitat that they would need ideally to survive and they're away from the people that they've depended on for food shelter companionship etc that does not mean that not that none of them survive uh have you ever heard the urban legends about alligators in the sewer yes that some of that is actually accurate so there's lots of urban legends about like giant albino alligators attacking sewer workers and things like that. (laughs) And those are obvious. I don't know if it's obvious, but those are, have been pretty firmly nailed down as exaggerations at best. It was popular for a while in Florida and Louisiana to sell little baby alligators in fish tanks as souvenirs. Who thinks that's a good idea? I don't know. Wait till I tell you about monkeys. (laughs) <laughs> I don't, oh my gosh, oh no. I don't understand why anyone would want an alligator anywhere near them, ever. Okay, so when they're babies, they're really cute, but I have to look at it and be like, that's going to be really big. Yes. <laughs> my personal recommendation is get a gecko. They right? Stay, they stay gecko-sized, and that's that. <laughs> so a lot of these people were from cities. And uh, in New York City in particular, this is where a lot of the urban legends center around. But people would come from New York City to Florida, buy a baby alligator, try to raise it as a pet, and then flush it. So the common story is that the alligators live in the sewer and reproduce and have big sewer alligator families and (laughs) just like murder sewer workers and all this stuff. That's too bad for sewer workers because they're doing really terrible work anyway. I know, especially in like 1925. Right. But the commissioner of sewers in New York was interviewed for a book called The World Beneath the City. And he said that in the 1930s, sewer inspectors first reported seeing alligators and they would find occasional alligators around two feet long. Now, is Teddy May telling the truth? I don't know. Uh, But he did tell people that. And it was not like alligators attacking. They spotted little alligators and they used bait and hunted the alligators down and killed. he said they had killed them off by 1937. They are, it was also suggested that the alligators were dumped down storm drains, which makes a lot more sense. 
you know, your alligator starts to get to be about two feet long. You're like, well, I can't handle this. You jump down a storm drain. Well, it's gone. It'll go to the ocean. Whatever. Not their problem anymore. So the flushing down the toilet, probably not accurate. The giant mega gator families, probably not accurate. But finding... Unfortunately, I I mean, I'm kind of living for that one that there's giant alligator families, but that's just me. I mean, just, I mean, in Florida, uh, there are. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, There are also other accounts that are verifiable of workers finding, say, an individual alligator. Uh, In 1927, someone in the Pittsburgh Bureau of Highways and Sewers was cleaning a section of sewer pipe in the city and found a three-foot alligator and took Ooh. it home with him. <laughs> I like this, like, next jump. Wow, that's a really big reptile that has huge jaw and big teeth. I'm going to take him home. Show him to the wife and kids. Glad as yeah! this. <laughs> in Paris, a crocodile was captured in the sewers in 1984 and now lives in an aquarium in france oh well that's kind of nice in 2010 a baby alligator was caught in the sewers in queens but one of the major reasons why it's improbable at best that there have ever been mega gators in the sewer is that it's too cold in new york city to support a fully grown alligator or crocodile or anything that gets that big there are plenty of alligators in sewers in florida Florida is kind of an exception, but the New York City sort of urban legends are less of a, they're, they're a legend in their scale, but not in their, say, potential reality. Another you know, pet that's real common that people flush are goldfish. There are goldfish populations in a lake in Colorado. They've completely filled a lake in Colorado. I saw Teller Lake and Thunderbird Lake as two lakes that were described. I don't know if those are the same lake or different lakes, but they're in Colorado, and at least one of they've pulled at least three thousand out, mm-hmm. and there are there are plenty more. So goldfish are interesting in that they never stop growing. Mm-hmm. They grow to the size of the tank that they're in, um, and they're really kind of only limited by their lifespan I think yep and uh, it can be pretty long they can live for years and years if they're not in some little plastic bag at the state fair I mean there are well taken care of koi in very old koi ponds in Japan that are a hundred years old Mm -hmm. like they are old koi um so yeah goldfish and the goldfish can also live in water that's like 50 degrees Right. Yeah, I do. I have a little goldfish pond too. Um, I also have a red-eared slider that lives in my yard that showed up one day and she eats all of them. So that's why I don't buy goldfish anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's a great transition. I'm going to give one more goldfish fact and then we can talk about red-eared sliders. Okay. (laughs) Uh, Goldfish, there are issues with goldfish in Australia. Goldfish are also a commercial catch in Lake Erie, which I didn't Mm -hmm. know. As a native Michigander, about 113,000 pounds were netted uh, in the most recent year there were statistics for it. Red-eared sliders, which are a turtle, are super invasive. People often let their pet turtles just sort of go, and they are very adaptive. They are feral in Israel, Guam, Australia, and Sarah's backyard. Apparently. (laughs) Eating her goldfish. So this, this turtle was never mine. Like I did not release it. I don't know if somebody else released it. Um, it's entirely possible, but she's lived in my yard for years now. Mm -hmm. Um, and she comes and goes as she pleases and she eats my goldfish. She eats frogs that live in my pond. I think she's pretty, like I leave her alone. Um, because when they get big enough, they will eat rodents. So, (laughs) oh, wow. That's handy. I think they're like in the top 100 of problematic animals. Yeah. So I just wanted to say that, that this was not my turtle. I did not release her. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> I hope I didn't imply that at all because that was not no, my goal. No, you, you didn't at all. Oh I just wanted people to know that I am responsible. <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine you just letting a, a pet go. No. I mean, I guess, I guess your turtle could have run away, but they can't run very fast. So that one's a tough one to... 
tough one to justify. So this reminds me of the time that um, my dog caught, well, didn't like catch and hurt, but found because my other dog was, my old dog was a herding dog and he was noticing something out in our backyard and he came to get us kind of, and there was a bunny in our yard and it wasn't like, a wild bunny. It was somebody's beautiful little, like lop-eared, sweet little velvety bunny. Oh. Yeah. So we caught her and took her inside our house and we took care of her for about a day. And then some little kid was like wandering around, like kind of looking in yards and stuff. And we, we stopped him and asked him. And he said that he had lost his bunny because he let it outside to go play and that's how it ended up in our yard. <laughs> so that's a good story. But by the way, bunnies don't go outside and play. They just take off. <laughs> yeah. Ex- yeah. A little pen at the very least is a good idea if you yeah. are going to take them outside. And uh, they don't do well out in the no. world. I mean, this is some, but this is someone's pet bunny. Like she had been living in a house. She had been fed. Like she, she is no longer wild. No. Like, she has no wildness in her. <laughs> Except to run off. Yeah. Well, besides, like, she thinks she's going on an adventure. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. She was a sweet little bunny, though. Good. Yeah. Oh, one more sort of, like, very well-known escapee, mm-hmm. or, well, they were probably released, are the Burmese pythons of Florida. Oh my gosh, Sean, I were just talking about this. Mm-hmm. They're now invasive in Florida, and they were most likely pets released in the 80s. The ones oh, that are wow. in the Everglades right now, because they live typically in the Everglades, it's a really very appealing habitat for them. Uh, six to nine feet long on average. And since 2002, at least 2,000 have been removed solely from Everglades National Park. How many? 2,000. What? Which is a lot for a snake that big because obligate carnivores that are large tend to have to have a fairly large range or, I guess, amount of space in which their prey lives because they have to eat a lot at once, kind of. And there have been a distinct decline in bobcat, opossum, and rabbit populations since the introduction of the pet pythons. Uh, Red lionfish are another introduced cold-blooded species. Uh, Six fish were released by aquarium hobbyists in 1992, and it's thought that more were released by people who were no longer maintaining their aquariums, so they probably just dumped their aquariums into the ocean. This is in the Atlantic Ocean, by the way. Uh, Red lionfish are native to the Pacific Ocean. They don't currently have a place in the food chain or are disrupting the food chain of the Atlantic coast between Florida and North Carolina. They're very effective predators and they can collapse an entire area's food chain from predation. And so they're the, venomous too. They're like the ven- venomous lionfish, right? They are, yes. So they're difficult to catch and handle simply because they're dangerous. Wow. The outside is dangerous and the inside is dangerous to other fish. We got a couple more Floridian scourges, uh, green iguanas. Uh, Iguanas are kept as pets by a lot of people, but they're pretty labor-intensive pets, and they can get very large. They can also get really sick if you don't take care of them correctly. Mm -hmm. Like They can have very bad vitamin deficiencies because people don't care for them, right? Once they get very large. And Florida is, we'll call it, fortunate enough to have in its southernmost edges a climate that can allow iguanas to survive. They're a tropical species. Uh, Florida also has several species of monkeys that hang out in parks. They are released. Yes, they are released pets. (gasps) There was a weird vogue in the mid-century, mid-20th century for owning monkeys. And they are... (laughs) Why? (laughs) I don't know. They're real cute. They are the worst pets. Yeah, because they're smart. It's like keeping a raccoon. Like, really? Like like a territorial, emotional raccoon. Yes! They're primates! So. uh, And they can spread herpes, which is fun. Yeah. 
And they're, they're, it's like, really, it's like keeping a perpetual toddler with you. Like, it's like having a pet toddler that never grows out of it. Like, they mm -hmm. get into things, they throw stuff, they refuse to be potty trained. Like, yep, they're a real problem. <laughs> I don't want to be anywhere near a monkey. They're beautiful. I like watching monkey documentaries. I think we should leave them all alone. They're, yeah, they're wild animals. We should not be having them as pets. Mm -hmm. And then I'll go through sort of briefly feral livestock. Feral pigs, goats, and sheep are all very adaptable and very destructive animals. And also, it was not hugely uncommon, particularly with goats, for mariners to establish feral populations on small islands as they were sailing through. This is way oh. back when. And so there are all kinds of introduced goat and pig populations uh, hanging out on islands, probably wreaking just absolute havoc uh, so that mariners would have food. There are also populations that are mostly from escaped livestock, particularly pigs. There are a lot of escaped pigs in the U.S., also a huge problem in Australia. I think that the tagline for this portion of this show should be also a huge problem in Australia. <laughs> Feral horses and donkeys. There are worldwide populations all from escaped or released animals. Ireland has a huge problem with released horses uh, because horses are a very sort of popular pastime, but with economic challenges that the Republic of Ireland has faced over time, like a lot of places. Uh, one of the first things that tends to go is expensive pastimes and you are keeping a horse for pleasure more than work that's an expensive pastime and I'm not saying that the Irish are the only people that do this it's just sort of an, a phenomenon that's noticeable there are populations of mustangs in the western U.S. that are you know or, or the Carrot Island horses. There are a lot of island populations of horses. Yeah, um, I remember as a little girl, we were traveling and we went to a place. Gosh, it must have been, maybe it was along the coast or something. And in the ranger's office everywhere, there was like, do not pet the wild ponies. Yep. Do not do it. Yeah. They are not beautiful they're beautiful but they're not your friends they're not my little pony do not pet them do not allow your kids to pet them you will lose a finger oh yeah they bite they kick yeah domesticated horses and ponies that have not gone feral are hazardous and should be approached very thoughtfully so ones that have gone feral whoo no thanks so um there were never horses in the in the Americas, right? Like they were all brought over, correct? The, all the horses that are in North America right now are non-native horses. There was okay. some kind of native horse species way yeah. back when, but it died out. Much like there were indigenous camel species in North America. And giant are, sloths, I learned. Those are cool. Yes, they're enormous. There's a sort of theory that they are, there are some of those in South America still. <gasps> I hope so. I watched a Discovery Channel. I'm, I hesitate to call it a documentary since there <laughs> was no documentation of this. It was a cryptozoology show. <laughs> yes, perfect. There are camels in Australia that are escaped pack animals. They've established a population in the interior of Australia. Uh, cows and escape. What? and become sort of part of the landscape. Cows are economically valuable, obviously, so they are often eventually rounded up. They have enough monetary value that they are worth catching. I was gonna say like cows, cows are just kind of wild anyway in lots of places. Like mm -hmm. you just kind of put them out to pasture and unless it's like your milk cow. They're just, you kind of let them do their thing and it's un unless it's time to round them up. Right. And the difference between sort of ranching and ranging and feral cows is fluid. It's actually very similar with dogs. So I can go uh -huh. ahead and talk about dogs. Uh, dogs in the U.S. are kept 
mostly as pets where they are either kept in one or a few yards or in the house most of the time. That is not how dogs are viewed or engaged with by humans in a lot of the rest of the planet. A lot of times there will be dogs that live in the village or city or town and you see them regularly. They've got a little spot to hang out. Or there will be packs of dogs that are around in the area. Or people will sort of share a dog or a dog is a working animal. There are a lot of breeds of dogs that are intended to be and do best as working animals. So with dogs, if a dog has been sort of born in the wild and is in a pack of feral dogs, because they are still pack animals, they are often called free-ranging. They aren't typically considered strays. So I'm not going to talk about free-ranging dogs, because you can do a whole podcast on free-ranging dogs in the world, because dog history is human history, is dog history, is human history. We're tied together. Yeah, we're so tied together, we, we just don't know when, when we end and they begin. Kind of their history is so interlinked with us. Yeah. Very fascinating. To me, it is. Mm-hmm. But for stray dogs, so pets that are kept either in a yard, they're, they're kept in close enough contact with humans that they are considered owned and also depend on humans for at least some of their sustenance and shelter and safety. Uh, they, when they escape, often die, which is really unfortunate. They often get hit by cars or they can be attacked by larger animals. They are also, uh, can be very dangerous because they can be very frightened or aggressive outside of their comfort zone and they want to take care of themselves. They can also form packs of stray dogs, which are dangerous particularly to livestock, but they're not great for humans either. And then they can also join their packs of feral dogs or they can interbreed with coyotes and wolves. So there's a lot of contact that dogs can have as stray dogs that can make interacting with them in the future very difficult. They expose to disease vectors, they become disease vectors. So it's really challenging for stray dogs in a lot of ways. And then it's challenging for people to cope with stray dogs because a lot of times people have set expectations of dog behavior and dog care and they can't provide that care to a dog that is no longer fitting into their expectation and ability. So I feel for stray dogs. It's, it's a tough world. Yeah. And it's very sad because they are so interlinked with us. Like they pretty much evolved because of us. And um, we, we've bred them for certain capacities that they just, they don't do well Mm -hmm. outside of human care. They, they're always, it's kind of strange to me, like, they're, if they're stray, they're always on the periphery of us, like, they, they live off of us by, by eating garbage and stuff if they're stray, mm-hmm. and, and they're not part of our world if they're stray, so it's very, it's a hard life for a stray dog, it's, it's not a good thing. No, it's a real challenge. Yeah, uh, and you're right, with, with packs of stray dogs, they're dangerous, because mm-hmm. they will have a pack mentality, and they, they can attack people. It's not a good thing. No, and it's, it's even slightly different for feral dogs versus stray dogs, because feral dogs have never been comfortable around people the way stray dogs have. So it's a different psychology for the dog of, I know what this is, or I've been comfortable with this before, versus a feral dog where it's like, people are crazy, let's stay away from them. There's also feral cats and stray cats. Uh, they, they can become strays very easily, and they tend to do a little better than dogs. They can cause massive damage to small animal populations and spread all kinds of disease. Great vectors for rabies, meaning great as in very effective. <laughs> That's great. No, not like yeah. that. Farther south you go, the more feral cats there tend to be. And North Carolina, um, the warmer versions of North Carolina were kind of like on the edge. They're a real problem. Feral cats are. One oh, yeah. of my coworkers works with feral cats, and she she helps trap them and helps them get vaccinations and stuff. And it's just a huge problem here 
Because it's warm. They don't die off in the winter. Nope. There are a few different sort of control methods for cats. One of them is, there. so there's two different trapping behaviors humans have for stray cats. Uh, trapping and then adopting them out. Or trapping, neutering, and vaccinating, and then returning them to where they were. So that allows them to continue existing as a stray cat, but they won't breed, and so there will be less of a kitten season the next year. I think kitten season is just starting. Yeah. Feel free to contact your local shelter, see if you can adopt a kitten. Go get cute. a kitten. Mm-hmm. Because <laughs> the other options are euthanasia, so trapping in euthanasia, or just having them get shot or poisoned, um, oh. which is very common, super common. And they can be a huge problem, so it's, it's well, it's not an appealing thing to have them be killed because of initial irresponsibility on the behalf of humans there eventually has to be a very unpleasant end i have one oh feral chickens there are lots of feral chickens in the world they yeah, are lots in north carolina apparently yeah they're funny animals i don't know that they're particularly destructive i just know that chickens can escape and survive parrots can also be released and often die. There used to be native parrot populations, but they are largely extinct now in North America. There's no more suitable habitat. Humans have crowded them out and killed them off. So when parrots escape or are released, and I'm sure there's plenty of them that are released because they live forever and are loud and intelligent and difficult to keep if you're looking for a low input pet. But so there's no habitat for them when they get out, and so they often die off. But there are populations of parrots in the U.S. that survive and breed. There's a population in San Francisco that there have been, I think, a book and a documentary on. Yeah, it's called. Uh, there's a good one called "The Wild Parrots of Telegraph Hill." That's it. That's it's that's an it. excellent, excellent documentary. I totally suggest it. So. Sometimes parrots survive. I will. So we supposedly have are on the path of a population of Quaker parrots Ooh. that have all escaped. And there's like just a population that um, spreads like they go from Georgia to North Carolina mm-hmm. together. And I, apparently you can see them at certain times of the year. This is all stuff that I've heard, like, and they're a wild population of, wild breeding population of Quaker parrots that have all escaped, and they're all, like, descended from pets, basically, and it's warm enough in Georgia and South Carolina for them to overwinter, and they will come up into North Carolina as well. Neat. Yeah, I I found that interesting, too, and Quaker parrots generally tend to be pretty hardy, mm-hmm. and they're also very um, smart, so... Yeah. It, it's cool and it's also weird. <laughs> it is weird. Yeah. But pretty neat. There's also a uh, feral peacock that lives in the woods behind our neighbor's pasture. Oh, that's awesome. And you can hear it every spring going, <laughs> oh, meow, oh, meow. Never seen it. And it is going strong. I haven't heard it this year. So maybe it's not going through anymore, but I've heard it three or four years in a row. So that's kind of what happens with released pets. Yeah, they don't do well. No. Don't release your pets. Please don't release your pets. There's no reason for it. No, somebody else probably wants them. And please, unless you are equipped with a lot of time and money, don't buy an exotic pet. Yeah, so I want to um, talk, of, can I talk about water, Carolina Waterfowl Rescue? So Carolina Waterfowl Rescue, and I've mentioned them before, um, they spend a lot of their time, it seems, catching people's pets, pet ducks, pet chickens. Um, they also help um, wild fowl as well. Um, they actually have pigs. <laughs> they have all kinds of animals. Um, I think they're based out of... Um, outside of Charlotte, 
And they just got a larger area as well, which is good because they help a lot of animals. Um, and they are a really great organization and they are worth supporting because they um, help a lot of animals um, in this area, um, especially the animals that, you know, you or I um, wouldn't think would need help. Like if something happened to that peacock and um, you called them up, they'd probably come get him. Um, cause I know they have peacocks there. Mm -hmm. They have all kinds of ducks. They have all kinds of chickens and pigs and they just took in a, um, a baby cow. Um, they have donkeys. Yeah. They're totally worth checking out if you're in the North and South Carolina area. Um, and you want to adopt ducks, pigs, chickens, cows, etc. I totally suggest asking them if they're adopting, um, they're great. They're great organization. Yes, that's it. <laughs> I just had a recovered memory of our neighbor's birthday last year. Somebody drove their truck up to our neighbor's pasture and threw a rooster out of their truck and drove away. And this poor, terrified rooster was running around our property and our neighbor's property and our entire neighborhood, you know, shrieking. Because it was so scared. Aww. Yeah. And then it disappeared. Well, yeah. So. Probably ended up as food. Almost certainly coyote food. Yeah. So that's what happens when you release your pets. Right. The, the waterfowl rescue, you mentioned the chickens. That just made me think of a poor rooster. And we tried to catch it. And no dice. Yeah, he was probably really freaked out. Mm-hmm. Oh. So yeah, call Carolina Waterfowl Rescue. Mm -hmm. They're great people. We'll have a link on our website. Yes. <laughs> they're easy to find too. Um, on Instagram, I think they're just at Waterfowl Rescue. Ooh. Yeah, they're easy to find and they always have pictures of like the animals that are coming in and happy, sweet stories and some sad stories like the baby cow that they, they just got. Um, they helped him out quite a bit. Aww. Yeah. I really wanted one of the donkeys, but I was just like, I live in suburbia. I don't think I could pass that off as another dog. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. Well, I'm going to talk about time. Where does time go? But I'm not talking about where does the time go. Like, where does the time go kind of a thing, mm -hmm. you know, that saying we have, and I'm talking about time, like actual, the dimension of time in our universe. So, oh, wow. yeah. <laughs> so I want to preface this by saying, I am not a physicist. I am not an astrophysicist. I'm just little old me with a sociology degree from 15 years ago. I'm going to be very, very like, I'm not going to get nitty gritty about it. I'm not going to get into the math. I'm just going to be like the surface and I'm sure there's more to get into. And I'm, it's so theoretical that, yeah, I, I there's no way I'm going to get everything perfect. And I'll probably go into a little into the philosophical realm just because that's how I am. Yeah. But, so what is time? It's just, it's a dimension of the universe and it's also a measurement. Mm -hmm. um, we measure our lives by time and we as a species have thought of a way of recording time based off of like our relationship to our planet and the sun and our revolutions around the sun. We've kind of figured out how to measure time. Time happens over and over again. We kind of bank our lives on it. We get older things decay, things change, and it helps us, it, it's really just a dimension that helps us define what moment of the universe we're in. It's, it's a coordinate of the universe, if you want to think about it that way. If we were going to meet an alien for coffee, say, time would just be another dimension that you would tell them. Ah. You would tell them, you know, of course, if they're not in this galaxy, you would tell them our galaxy our solar system, our planet, our longitude and latitude of the place you want to meet, and the time. It would just be like the dimension that they would have to go by 
in order to get here to meet us. So time is also, of course, it presses on us because of our social lives, but it really is just a dimension. Like time is a big deal to us because of our so the socialness of our psychology. Like we meet each other, we have meetings, we ha do business meetings, but outside of that in like kind of a meta, a meta, a meta direction, it's really just a dimension of the universe. And as far as we know, we can't retrieve time. The arrow of time only goes forward. When we talk about the task, about the past, we're really just talking about um, a shorthand, our shorthand for describing a previous slice of space time. So um, as far as we know, our universe originated at the Big Bang. All the math, all the evidence points to that. Time has moved forward since then. As far as we know, it's never, ever moved back, and it can't. Um, the second law of thermodynamics says basically that everything starts at a state of low entropy, so that's the Big Bang, uh -huh. and moves towards more disorder or more entropy, and entropy increases over time. This is just from all of our um, observation of the universe, um, that entropy increases over time. It's the second law of thermodynamics. Uh -huh. So um, the Big Bang, we believe, was a time of low entropy. Um, and then it happened and it's increasing over time. Um, the universe, as from what we can tell from our place in the universe, um, uh, it's always it's expanding outward. And everything is moving away from everything else. So everything is moving towards more entropy. And entropy is increasing until the heat death of the universe. And so, entropy, have you defined entropy? Not yet. Entropy okay. is just um, the movement from um, order to disorder. Okay. And entropy increases over time. So it's, it's been a long time since I took physics, so I'm glad I asked because I wanted to make sure I had that in my head as I'm listening. It's just, um, it's another word for disorder, very simply. It's okay. just everything is ordered and moves toward disordered. It, it spreads out. Um, so the universe is expanding and expanding and expanding. Astronomers have found that um, there was a theory that we're heading towards a big crunch. There was the big chill or the big crunch. But we've pretty much found that the universe, the entropy in the universe isn't slowing down. It's speeding up. And the math works out that we're headed toward the heat death of the universe billions of years from now. Like, it's not something we need to worry about next week. Because <laughs> it does sound just sort of dreadful. <laughs> so the heat death is really when everything is so far apart, it's, it reaches an equilibrium and entropy can no longer increase. And this is so that everything is so far apart from itself that you would see no stars in the sky. It would just be black. And since entropy increases over time, this kind of, there's more ways to break something than there are to put it back together. Mm -hmm. That That's just, I, I, I kind of really felt that it was like wow there's more way to ways to break than there are to put it back together so in my own life like philosophically I feel like my life is pretty much just fighting entropy like <laughs> especially with my job like I'm always fighting disorder <laughs> yeah your job is definitely an uphill battle <laughs> and so this is weird and crazy so time is different for all of us I Einstein found that time and movement through space are woven together in a fabric called space-time. Mm -hmm. So though we all agree socially of our perception of time, and our perception of time is psychological, our movement in space-time, the fabric of space-time, and through space-time de determines our slice of now and is different than other people's. What? <laughs> yeah, each moment is just a snapshot of the universe as it is at that time to us at our our individual current movement. So time passes differently in different places depending on how fast you're moving, right? That special relativity. Mm -hmm. So Einstein's general theory of relativity 
um, he incorporated gravity into space-time and space-time is curved it's like fabric it has curvature and the curvature itself is gravity and massive objects warp the fabric of space-time so if you have a ball that is sitting on like think of a ball sitting on a like a parachute or a piece of fabric right and if you put another ball on the fabric it's going to move towards the big ball in the middle because it's got that warp. Makes sense, yes. Yes. So this is where it gets weird. Okay. If I have a ball and I'm moving in a direction and there's and you're very far away from me, you're in another solar system. Okay. You're very far away. I throw a ball at you. And depending on the direction that I throw it and the direction I'm moving and the direction you're moving, I will either hit you in your future or hit you in your past. It really just depends. It's extremely hard to like, it's just a slice. Like our, on all of our slices are different of, of time depending uh -huh. on which way you're moving. Like, are you talking about, cardinal direction yeah i'm talking about okay. if i'm moving in any direction and because we are so far apart it just depends on what direction you're moving and what direction i'm moving whether where the ball is going to reach you and be general relativity relies on the fact that all pasts and all futures are possible and have already happened is crazy <laughs> <laughs> and I've, so I've I've been trying to wrap my mind around this and I've I've tried and I hope I'm explaining it okay so uh, you're, you're explaining in a way that is obviously not nonsense but I'm trying I'm trying to like I'm trying to it blew my mind when I was when I was researching this I was like what Kind of like what I'm showing as your <laughs> um, And here's another thing that I loved. If time stopped, we'd have no idea. We'd have no idea because it stopped. Time might stop and we it might have stopped just now and we don't know. You're right because you just pick up where you left off. Exactly. Time might be stopping constantly. Oh, that would be... It would be irritating because you could rest when it stopped and then you don't... Yeah. <laughs> so for the time-space slice... I think Brian Green brought up a really, he brought up a good way to think about it. It's like a slice of bread. You have a giant piece of space-time shaped like a bread. And I have my slice here, and you have, you're on the other side, and we're standing still. And our slice is always, my slice, depending on that my movement, is going to, my slice of bread is always going to be different. Like, everyone's slice of bread is different, depending on the movement through space-time. That makes sense, because it's, it's in a different location. You know, you and I have t technically different masses, and we would have different weights as well, based on whatever gravitational forces were near. Yes. Yeah, it's just all different, because we're in different places. Even just on this planet, you're different distances from the sun. Yes. And depending on how fast you're moving, time is different. So if you got into a spaceship and when, if you could like kind of go near a black hole, but not into it, which is kind of hard. <laughs> and then you kind of like took a little trip around the black hole for maybe an hour and came back to earth. Um, you would not have aged. Um, you'd be going very fast. You'd maybe age only an hour, and everyone on Earth would age have aged like fifty years. What? There was a Interstellar. That's the movie that delved into the aging versus not aging thing. Mm -hmm. That was a good movie. I like that movie. Yeah. So time moves differently the faster you're going towards the speed of light. That's special relativity. Mm -hmm. There's a great descriptor that the Disney Channel did with the genie from Aladdin. Oh, cool. I wonder if I could track that down on YouTube and link it. Yeah. This is this is hard to understand stuff. Like, I, I, 
I'm trying to do it justice and people with multiple degrees in physics, like, can't, like, explain it. So I'm trying. Well, your, your advantage is, with your sociology degree, communication to other people. I try. So I talked about with, if time stopped. So that's the one that I, I delighted in. I'm like, oh, time is stopping. And we don't know. <laughs> Will time end? Maybe. We don't know. Time might end. We, don't, we have no idea. Because the universe is expanding, maybe it will expand so far that will, time will become meaningless with the heat death of the universe and uh, things kind of freeze. Maybe time will become meaningless. We're assuming since time and entropy are linked and entropy can no longer happen in our heat death of the universe, time will end. Is there, there is, it is my understanding that there is, I should, I should qualify this extensively, a theory that there have been multiple sort of big bangs. I'm getting, I'm going to get to that. Oh, okay, great. Then I will just, I will just hush up. So where is time going? As far as we know, it only goes forward. So our memories, um, even though they're unreliable, they are they hold our snapshots of past nows. So we're always moving into now, 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 now. So you're always time traveling to the future and every present is now. Mm-hmm. So our, our, our memories are just like snapshots of past nows. Um, and maybe there are pocket universes. This is like where you were talking about the multiple big bangs. Maybe there are pocket new universes where time is different. Um, so maybe our Big Bang was just the the beginning of our own universe and our own space-time, um, and there are other pocket universes all over the place all the time. Maybe Big Bangs happen all the time, other places, and there are pocket universes everywhere. We have no evidence. Um, we, we don't know, but it's entirely possible that there are, are pocket universes being created all the time. Wow. And we, you know, as far as we know, the Big Bang, our Big Bang, was when our universe started. There could have been one before. There could be one happening right now, and there's a pocket universe opening. We don't know. I like the phrase pocket universe because it makes me think of someone keeping a universe in their pocket. Yeah, and maybe there are pocket universes in someone's pocket. We don't know. (laughs) So if you think about it, since every, since time is marching forward and as far as, as we know, it can't go back. So every day is different. Every day entropy kind of is always marching towards more entropy. Entropy is increasing. So every day has more entropy. So every day is different in this crazy expanding universe that might be developing pocket universes that we don't know about. Um, we just don't know. So enjoy your, enjoy your slice of space time. <laughs> I will do my best. <laughs> and where does time go? It goes forward. I couldn't, I couldn't grasp like where else it would go <laughs> as far as where does it go. So that's what I got. Time moves forward. That's great. <laughs> Brilliant. Oh, man. I really appreciate concept discussions like this because they make a lot of very small, petty things seem a lot less important. It's kind of a relief. I love the absurdity of the universe. Mm -hmm. I really do. Like when I'm sad and I'm just like, oh, man, this is just a trudge trudging through life how how do I get through this trudge like I think about just this space time and the heat death of the universe and entropy and just all seems so weird and wonderful (laughs) and also I like to think of pocket universes that's kind of fun kind of unnerving it is kind of unnerving like there could be a pocket universe right next to you and you would never know it Oh, I don't like that idea. (laughs) And I don't know why I don't like that idea. Well, it couldn't really touch you, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Why why do I dislike that idea? 
Okay. Um, <laughs> what, what control do I have over that idea? It's all I <laughs> Well, it's you know? like there's also wormholes. Like the, the wormholes are theoretical. Like we don't we don't know, and it would take an immense amount of of energy um, to create a wormhole from one point in space time to another. But you know, as far as we know, they're theoretical at this point. But maybe they exist. Maybe they could exist. I, I love them as plot points in science fiction. Yeah, they're always interesting plot points, but never like, oh, yeah, a wormhole opened. Well, how? Like, <laughs> it would take such immense energy. Like, you would notice that it would open. Yeah. And so my husband and I were talking about this last night, and he's like, we're talking about time travel. And time travel can only happen from one point in space time to the other, from when the wormhole was created to where it's going. So if the space time wormhole was from at some point in the past to like some point in space time to the future, like it would have only be at those points. Like you can't create it like other places. Like, so we're not going to have a bunch of uh, future space people coming to our point until the the wormhole was made like we're not going to have a bunch of people pouring in from someplace into the you know caveman to change the past that's just not going to happen because the wormhole didn't exist then right as far as we know <laughs> it's kind of reassuring that's why we don't have super soldiers coming from the future I guess. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe they only show up when time stops. What? <laughs> we don't know because time is stopped for us. I am also really excited that you brought this up because there's going to be a third Bill and Ted movie. What? And they announced it yesterday. They oh, announced it on the man. 20th of March. Uh, we recorded a little bit ahead of time. I actually tweeted about it. I was so excited on our podcast <laughs> Oh, that's fantastic. And then I had this, where does time go? It might be. Maybe I'll switch this one for next week. This is perfect. <laughs> nice. Oh, man. Is Keanu Reeves going to be in it? Yes, and Alex Winters. Oh, fantastic. I'm so excited. Yeah, me too. Are they, are they like Keanu Reeves now? Because he's like 46 years old. So it's going to be like Bill and Ted when they're in their 40, like late 40s. Yes. That's amazing. Yep. <laughs> it's it's going to be, I think it's going to be called Bill and Ted Face the Music. Oh. <laughs> I am very fond of those movies. I am too. They're so worthwhile. They're so fun. I just watched the first one like two weeks ago and I was like, man, this movie is so fun. Exactly. Like, I forgot how fun it is. I, I still think about lines and every time I read Socrates I have to correct Socrates. myself because I read it as Socrates me too <laughs> and beef oven so <laughs> <laughs> oh. crates and I always think of like Napoleon going to what is that Waterloo <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> every time I read something about Napoleon like if he randomly comes up why does Napoleon random come randomly come up occasionally he does like I think about Napoleon at Waterloo <laughs> <laughs> thank, oh. you for, thank you for picking such a timely topic uh, <laughs> you're welcome I tried to do it justice I'm really glad I didn't do old golf balls this week. Why? It, it would have been a real, like, penny-ante topic compared to time. We could have talked about, like, golf balls as the curvature of space-time. Like, a golf ball going into the hole is, like, yeah. going into, like, like being attracted to the hole. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Like a black hole. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a vampire fact this week? Oh, no, I forgot. The differences between zombies and vampires is that um, zombies have a lower IQ and prefer brains. And um, 
are immune to garlic, whereas vampires prefer the um, the blood. All right. <laughs> Zombies bother me too. I think that zombie uh, zombie lore is a fundamental misunderstanding of epidemiology. It bothers me. So I find I'm such a party poop. No, you're not. So vampires uh, don't really scare me or worry me. Mm-hmm. Zombies bother me, and I'll tell you why. Zombies, like there was this video game that came out years ago, um, and zombies were zombies because if the um, what is that fungus that takes over ants' brains? Oh, the it's like coreop. It's not coreopsis. Yeah. It's is it Cordyceps. 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 That's the it. The Cordyceps fungus takes over ants' brains and it makes them so that um, they are like immune to danger. Like they just uh-huh. like do whatever. Um, so this new one posited that the zombie apocalypse was because Cordyceps fungus evolved so that it could take over people's brains. And that's, and it was basically growing in their brains, and that's why they were zombies. Like, they were alive, but their brains were slowly rotting from the cordyceps fungus. See, at least um, that make, kind of makes sense. Yeah, I, I actually quite appreciated this kind of, they thought about it long and hard. Why would people be zombies? That doesn't make any sense. Um, so people were eating each other's brains the cordyceps was making people each other eat each other so that to spread the cordyceps fungus basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and I find that horrifying. Like I have this problem with like losing my control over my own life as I'm sure a lot of people do. So thinking that something could infect my brain and make me want to eat other people <laughs> like, and it was just real enough mm-hmm. that I could see it happening like, it, that was really scary to me. Definitely. That's understandable. Yeah. So, zombies bother me more than vampires do. Like, vampires I find, like, yeah, okay, whatever. I wouldn't be a vampire. I'd be a werewolf. I'd want to be a werewolf. I think mostly because I just like dogs, and dogs are cooler than people that walk around in the dark and try to suck people's blood. <laughs> <laughs> Just a bunch of goths. They were right. I actually appreciate. <laughs> There's nothing wrong. I, I like goths. Actually, yeah, I, I appreciate the goth subculture very much. So, yes, I'm not intending very... to slight goths. More like vampires are like wannabe goths. Oh uh, go. yeah, I feel like that too. There we yeah. go. Yeah. <laughs> they want to I mean, be as cool like, as goths, and they're not. It seems like everybody was obsessed with vampires for such a long time. Um, and then it's like the, it moved into zombies. Like everyone was obsessed with zombies. Like every year there was like zombie things coming out all the time. Do you think uh, Bigfoot's going to be next? No. Why doesn't Bigfoot? Well, there's that, that kids movie coming out um, that the, he's the last big, she's the last Bigfoot. And she's like, I'm the last one. I need to find people. And so this, this guy helps her find the yetis like in another part of the world because the yetis still exist. Oh, it's a kid's movie. It looks really cute. I saw it when I went to go see, um, the captain America. That sounds cute. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds really cute, but I don't think Bigfoot or is, or like Harry and the Hendersons. Do you remember that? Oh God. Yes. The movie. And there was a show too. Oh, there was? Yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah, it was very, very brief. Do you have a reuse project? I, I do. I can if you Go don't have it. one. So reuse project, um, I like to make alcohol ink. It's actually really fun. Have I gone over this before? No. Alcohol ink with markers. So you can take old Crayola markers and do um, alcohol ink. You basically take them and put them in alcohol and the ink will actually come out of the marker and you have alcohol ink that you can use for painting or um, doing um, all kinds of other crafts like dyeing fabric with it or, or 
it's really pretty cool. Ink, uh, there's a lot of uses for alcohol ink. And all you have to do is take some isopropyl alcohol and dip some old markers into them. Cool. Yeah. That's there you go. <laughs> awesome. Where does the time go? <laughs> Onward. Time Onward. keeps on slipping into the In future. <laughs>